This is Take Flights with Mark Whittle. Welcome to Take Flight. I'm Mark Whittle, former city worker turned performance coach. And this is your place for inspiration and education on ways to optimise your performance and find your purpose. I'd made good money. I'd got this high-flying job. And it wasn't, it wasn't making me that happy. I think I kind of reached a stage where I was like, why am I doing it? This is what is real? We're all driven towards security and great salaries, great benefits, has the status we're taught are important when we grow up. It's an illusion of security. In the corporate world, burnout is a bit of a badge of honor. Screw the money, screw the, screw the big job. Do what is fun and what makes you happy. What we really want seems impossibly out of reach and ridiculous to expect, so we never dare to ask the universe for it. If it weren't for lockdown, it would have never happened. I met a coach who offered me some running training. It kind of just snowballed from there. Two hours, 27 minutes and 59 seconds. Those were the magic numbers for Rose Harvey at yesterday's London Marathon. And now you're a professional athlete, sponsored by Puma. My life just looks completely different. Cabin crew, passengers, prepare for takeoff. Rose, welcome to the Take Five podcast. Thanks very much for having me. It's great to be here. It's been horrible this morning, hasn't it, our commute? Oh, yeah, it's grim. I don't know what's happened to the weather. It was, I was in the Peak District at the weekend. It was absolutely amazing. Felt like it was kind of still summer, a little bit. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, don't know what's happened, but... Yeah, it was interesting because, so, for, for context, I spoke to Charlie, your fiancé? Yeah. Yeah. So I spoke to Charlie the first time at the beginning of the year who's doing amazing things with his company, Oppo, yeah. which is one of my favourite things to eat. <laughs> Which is actually interesting. <laughs> is it? Yeah. What's your favourite one? Oh, you know what? Actually, they've got a new flavour. It's like caramelised biscuit. It tastes like Biscoff, which is like my favourite mm, thing ever. Mm. And that, oh, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> so I reached back out to Charlie because at the time, I think I, I wasn't recording, I was in a break or something. And he said, I'll tell you what, you should you should speak with my fiancé. And when he explained the story, I was like, no way, because I'd seen all of the news. I'd seen, obviously, in the marathon and everything. So Yeah, oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, well, yeah. great to be here. Mm. Did you say that you listened to the podcast as well? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm a big fan of it. Yeah, over the last, particularly over the last two years, like I've got really into my podcasts. Actually, it was when I got, I I was injured for a bit and uh, I had to do loads of cross training, and we just put a podcast on cross trainer, and it's like so motivational. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. great. Oh, so I can take partial credit for. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to talk all about your journey from being in. Uh, well, you're still a lot. You're still a qualified lawyer, right? But yeah. being a lawyer and this incredible journey you've been on the last few years. But to start with, I just have to hear about the London Marathon because <laughs> that was insane. Oh, it was. It was just one of those weekends. I just want to go back and do it all again. Yeah, it was actually a pretty rocky build-up, and well, tra- training was going pretty well. And then, ten days before the race, I got hit by a car. And basically someone was pulling out of their driveway. I was running down the pavement and just whacked into this car and my knee blew up. It was really sore. And I literally couldn't really run for 10 days before the race. I tried to do strides the day before and just couldn't do anything. And I genuinely, I think two years ago, I probably wouldn't have started the race. Hmm. But I just, I I was at the Elite Hotel the day before and I was like, I've got two choices here. I can either line up and give it a go or not start you know there's nothing I could do to make my knee better at at that time it was the night before the race and 
I just thought, you know, all I've I've come here to have fun, and that's that's what running has always been about for me, and that's what this whole this whole journey and I guess my purpose of doing it is really just about it sounds really cliche but kind of following this crazy dream that I've got and following my passion and it is just about having fun and for me you know starting the race would would be having fun not starting the race would not be doing that and it's about just giving my best and again giving my best meant I had to start it but I went into it really thinking you know I could genuinely not get to 5k I didn't know if my knee was going to blow up, if it was going to be really painful, but I just had to give it a shot. And thankfully, it's amazing what your body can do when it really has to, and just a bit of race adrenaline. And the crowds were absolutely incredible. I actually, I did London Marathon last year, and we were sort of still in lockdown, and everyone was told to stay at home. And it was, there were crowds out, but this year, oh my God, they were just, it was awesome. So I think that whole atmosphere and then when at about the halfway mark, I realised I was in, in the lead in first Brit place. And that was just, I'd forgot about my knee. And it did, mm. it hurt at times. And whenever it started to hurt, I was just like, no, knee, shut up. <laughs> I am, I'm doing this. I'm having a great time. And I genuinely loved every minute of it. It was, wow. it was just one of those races and it happens so infrequently in elite sport where you just have that race where you feel completely I guess it's the flow and it's you're kind of just it feels like everything's giving you energy and yeah it's just the most amazing feeling you're just absolutely flying Mm -hmm. and that that was London Marathon for me and it was it was just so special I think after a bit of a roller coaster year uh with I got covid earlier in the year and it's just it's just been a lot of ups and downs and i think to kind of finish on that really high note just crossing that finish line was incredible it's honestly so inspiring it was incredible to see so what was the expectation regardless of the knee injury like what was the expectation of you as an athlete before even going into the london marathon i think now now i've established myself as as an elite runner i've done a few elite races there was there was probably more expectation than there ever has been. Mm. Um, but, and I was, I was hoping to get a PB and I did, I felt like I was in that shape. So, you know, I was going, I was going for it mm. and there was expectation, but at the same time, you know, in marathon, you just never know what's going to happen. I think mm. in, in any, in any sport, you never know what's going to happen. You've just got to give your best and hope that on the day it, your body does does what it's meant to do, but it doesn't always happen, and sometimes it's just out of your control. So it was like you're saying you put pressure on yourself, and there's probably more expectation. But was tenth something that was in your mind before going in, or I didn't think I would do that well. Okay, uh, but it's yeah, I, it it always just depends who turns up on the day, really, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I was I was definitely hoping to improved my placing from last year i think i came 15th last year so i was aiming to go to go better than that Mm. but didn't have 10th in my mind that was was good (laughs) but like just for people who are listening who might not be familiar with the whole story like it is outstanding you two years ago before lockdown you were a lawyer working in finance law right yeah and now you're a professional athlete sponsored by puma yeah you just qualified for the world champs yeah and you're we'll talk more about this but hoping to qualify for the olympics yeah it's incredible. 
Like it's one of those stories when I heard it, it's like that is like the ultimate take flight journey of something that might never have happened if you hadn't have given it the time. Yeah, absolutely. It's been, I mean, it's been an absolute whirlwind journey and I look at my life now and it's just completely different to two and a half years ago. <laughs> and I, I don't think if, I mean, if, it were lo- if it weren't for lockdown, it would have never happened. You know, two years, two and a half years ago, I was working as a lawyer and I was so 100% on my career. And I, actually taking you back to when I when I started as a lawyer, I was in a big city law firm doing these big corporate deals. And it really was my ambition to be, to have this big job and to, you know, have, earn lots of money and really be in this big corporate environment. And... Then I, I wanted a new challenge, so I moved in-house. And I moved into... Uh, it was a quite small company that did uh, financing for sport and music businesses, so a bit like a fund. And that really was a big job. It was really high stress, but it was in it was in music and sport, which two industries I absolutely love. So at the time, I thought, yeah, I thought, I've landed my dream job. Mm. And... It was a small team, a young company, so a little bit disorganised and just really high pressure. We'd do these huge deals, big football transfers and music catalogue acquisitions and all really big ticket stuff, incredibly tight deadlines. And I absolutely loved it at the time. When I when I first started, I loved it. And that was why, why I went into it. It was for the adrenaline of doing the deals and having this really all-consuming career. But I'm not really sure. It still didn't fulfil me. It was, it was exciting, and the lifestyle was was glamorous. There was a lot of parties. You know, it was, it was mental. <laughs> there was one time we worked on this football transfer that we had to. I think we got in on the Monday and we had to close on the Friday, and that never happens. The deal doesn't close in five days, but we did it, and we worked till like three a.m. every day, and then on the Friday we went out and partied till five a.m. Hmm. And then you have the weekend and it's just all you do is get ready for Monday morning. And that was my life. And it was it just left nothing for anything else. Mm. Left nothing for my friends. It left nothing for my relationships. And it wasn't healthy. You know, it wasn't it wasn't good for me. It wasn't good for me physically. It wasn't good for me mentally. And it wasn't I, I think I kind of reached a stage where I was like, why am I doing it? You know, you put everything into one deal and it'd be the most important thing in the world mm. and then you go through all this stress and I, I was really stressed at the time and I you kind of don't realize it when you're in it and you just keep going but I was really stressed and then you close the deal and then you get in the next day and there'll be another one mm. and you're like and then that one's the most important one you've got to put everything into that and you're like oh why, why did I do that and it was only really lockdown when lockdown happened and basically we were called into a zoom meeting and told the company wasn't doing very well financially and everyone was going to be made redundant Hmm. and so suddenly I had I had three months garden leave and I had a lot of time and just space and I just was forced to stop and it was only really being forced to stop that then you take a step back and you're like oh god I was really in a rat race and, you know, that's, it's great for some people, but I don't think, I realised that it wasn't sustainable and it wasn't good for me. 
and actually I wasn't particularly fulfilled by it. And I think at, at that point I I had the time to reevaluate and really focus on what I wanted. And I was like, you know what, actually I I was just I was just knackered and I thought, right, now is the time to just do something fun and do something I absolutely love and take the pressure off. Don't think about work. You know, it's a ter- terrible time to try and get a new job anyway. So I just started doing something fun. And at the time, I was very into triathlon and not that I had any time to do it, but I I really enjoyed it. So I signed up for a half Ironman. And uh, this is when we thought lockdown would be like two months. So I signed up for this race all enthusiastic and was like, it's going to happen. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, started training for it. And I met a coach who offered me some running training and I started doing that and then a couple of months later obviously the triathlon was cancelled lockdown was still happening but I kept at the running and I was absolutely loving it I loved I still had that challenge every day that I looked for in law originally you know it was it was being able to challenge myself every day and the adrenaline and the uh, I guess some degree of pressure but I loved that but it was it was good for me as well it was it was fun, it was healthy, I had time for other people and I wasn't completely draining myself. So I was just really enjoying it. And I think at the time, you know, I never thought it would be my career when I started it in that summer. And it really just was a fun lockdown project. And it's it it kind of just snowballed from there. And then when, when the triathlon got cancelled, I realised the running was going pretty well and I was like, okay, new project. I'm going to try and run for my county. And that was my big goal. And I actually had a new job in law by that time, but like everyone else, I was working from home, so I had a bit more time. And so I kept up kept up the training. And anyway, a year later, I, I didn't ever get my Surrey vest, actually, but I did get selected for the England team. <laughs> and that was really the moment when I was like, I've got this amazing opportunity. I've actually got something here. And I've got to use it. I can't, I can't go back to law and just go back to my crazy job. And I, I've got to take this opportunity. You know, it's not going to be around forever. And so that's what I did. And yeah, two and a half years later, I've, I, I got signed by Puma this year. Uh, represented GV, and my life just looks completely different. But yeah, it's been an absolute, absolute whirlwind journey. But it's just, it's just been so fun. Wow, like there's there's so much to unpack. Like I think to start with, there's a couple of points that I want to just mention because I want to talk about them later, which is um, getting selected for England and that moment when you realise that you've got something, mm. talent, gift, whatever. But to start with, I'd really like to just talk about that period in law because you said you loved it at a time. Mm. I think that it's interesting how like where we live at the minute because we're kind of we're kind of in this in between stage where our parents' generation or our grandparents would have loved the jobs that we had, right? I worked in corporate as well, like great salaries, great benefits, has the status and the job titles and all these glamorous things that we work towards and that we're taught are important when we grow up. Mm. Probably because in that era, especially our grandparents, like it, it was true, that was the best thing to have because we're all driven towards security and they didn't have the opportunities that we have today and the tech that allows us to create things for ourselves and work for ourselves. So we've kind of got this like leftover story from our grandparents that's trickled down to our parents who still imparted that on us, like get the good grades, go to uni, get the good job, get a nice house and mortgage, all those things. 
and then this like new way of thinking which is you can actually do something that you love and and make something of it now your story is incredibly unique because it it's it's actually an athlete that you turned into so there's probably some genetic benefits and things that you've got from from your family has allowed you to go there but it's the same rule that applies you gave an idea and a dream time to let it see what happened um so i think just like to talk about when you were a lawyer again what was that moment when you started to realize you said it got to the stage where you're like why am i doing this like what was it that led you to that feeling of suddenly thinking this isn't the right thing for me i think i i definitely was i don't want to say a victim because i'm i'm grateful for for having my for going into law you know it gave it gave me a, a good platform to be able to do what I do now. But that was definitely why I did it. It was a stable career, it was good pay. And I definitely, my, that's what I was taught growing up. You know, I actually, when I was when I was younger, I really wanted to be a journalist. And my parents said, don't do that. It's really hard to make money in it. Go and do law. It was either law, dentistry, or be a doctor. Mm. And those were sort of the three options that I was almost channeled into. And... That was that was why I went into law. Really, it was it was stable and it was well paying, and I thought I'd be all right at it. But I think the it was really just the moment of you know I'd I'd made good money, I'd got this high flying job, and it wasn't it wasn't making me that happy. And it was just that it was that moment of realizing. I think when when you stop and you realize that you've had no time for your friends and family and the things that are important to you and running exercise and health and fitness has always been important to me and I need I need to run every day to feel good and there was no time for that and I think it was just suddenly having time for that made me realize how much I'd missed it Mm. and actually it's not you know I had I had the high-flying career and the money but what was what was the purpose of it I just suddenly had perspective, I think, and I suddenly sort of had this moment where I was like, what am I going to look back on my life and and think about all of this? And I don't think I don't think anyone is going to look back in, you know, 40, 50 years on their life and be like, you know what, the one thing I really regret is following my dream. You know, no one's gonna say that. Mm-hmm. And it was just it was just that realization of like actually screw the money screw the screw the big job do what is fun and what makes you happy and actually you know ironically I've now made this my career and I'm making good money doing what I love which is great but I didn't really have that expectation when I went into it I was like you know it's elite sport is hard to make the same money as Lauren mm. but it just it just didn't matter anymore mm. you know when I realized that I was going to be so much happier doing what I love that that is what matters wow it's funny i was i was reading about this the other day because i do a lot of work with my clients on like values Mm. and i used to think that when you live out of alignment with your values that's when you have like inner conflict and that's when you suffer but actually what happens is you're always living in alignment with your values there's no other way to do it of course you are because you're clearly valuing that thing so at the time we were likely valuing money and status and security Mm. and the parties and all the things that yeah. come with that but it's almost like you said i really resonate with that like you said that you have that moment and you realize you you've valued the wrong things 
Yeah. You haven't seen your family, you haven't seen your friends, you haven't been given the time that you want to to exercise. Yeah. And then it's like, hmm, I've got to make some changes. Yeah. And the money and all those things like that start to fall down on that list of the things that we value. Yeah. Um, I've got this little like it's a it's a one dollar note which it's like it's it's technically it's art and someone's painted on it. Do what you love and the money will follow. And That's I bought so that. True. Like, yeah, I bought it like two years before I left corporate. But I still kind of didn't really believe it. Because, you know, you're like, you can't see a way that it works. Yeah. Well, I think we're so... That is the corporate world, isn't it? We're so, I guess, brainwashed into thinking you've just got to work and work and yeah. work and do these crazy hours. And I don't know about you, but I almost feel like in the corporate world, burnout is a bit of a badge of honour. Mm. And that is that's what it's all about it's all about just working really long hours and putting a hundred percent into just that corporate lifestyle yeah but yeah it doesn't leave a lot of time for anything else yeah do you know what's interesting because what you what you made me think about there is because i worked for i worked for salesforce mm. no if, if you heard yeah. of salesforce so obviously like huge massive tech company global company they got like i don't know sixty thousand employees or something crazy and i worked for them for over five years and the first whatever three and a half four years i was like at the top i was in sales and for a load of reasons internally or my own issues that forced me to have to stay there no matter what but then i was working more on take flight so i wasn't performing as well in my last year and then i went off on paternity and all these other things and lockdown happened and I knew just because of the way that I worked there that as soon as that happened, then they'd want to get rid of me. <laughs> so long story short, what ended up happening was we negotiated a uh, like a settlement for me to leave, which I can talk more about that later, which I think helps people leave jobs to have a little bit of mm. runway and, and, and planning of how you're going to do it. But it was just the way that you said that made me think it's, the, it's an illusion of security. Yeah. Because you got made redundant. I basically did as well. It was a, it was like an, a mutual redundancy, but so that the security that we think we have there, yeah, is an illusion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's you know the real the real security is is your, I think your friends and family, hmm. <laughs> and yeah, what makes you fulfilled that that should be your security, not just a job that. Yeah, I mean, not many people are in the job for the same job for the whole of their life. It's not, as you say, it's not that secure. And look, lockdown happened. Loads of people got made mm. redundant. Yeah, and we had to be forced into the decision. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. So, okay, let's. I'd love to talk about like we can talk about being a lawyer and stuff more later. But that transition then, when you're on garden leave, so you had a bit of time to yourself, started just running a little bit, and then made the decision that you'd go for county. Yeah. What was the what was the journey from that and then actually getting selected by England? I ran a marathon. It was about eighteen. Well, no, a year and four months after I started, and I ran just under two thirty one, which was like twenty five minutes quicker than I'd ever run, and that was really what got me noticed. But how how that's like a huge jump. Yeah, I just to be honest, I didn't I don't think it registered how much better I got in in that time. I was I wasn't really I was training with one other person at the time of lockdown, I couldn't really train with anyone. Mm. And it didn't really I didn't really have any benchmarks to monitor my progress. So I just kept running and 
I just kept training, kept working hard, and then just entered this race thinking, oh well, it's you know I've got I've got to race, I've got to do something that is putting my work into into practice, and it was quite a low key marathon, but yeah, I just ran, kind of all paid off, all the hard work paid off, and it I really surprised myself. I think that was that was when I was like, oh yeah, I've actually made really good progress here and I've done something. It's yeah, it was really fun. So before off the back of that I got selected. So before that you'd done like a three hour marathon, hadn't you? Yeah. But so what was your training looking like? Because it is like for people who have run a marathon, they'll know how drastic that change is. Yeah. For people who haven't, they might not know, you know, what a big change that is. Like what do you think it was that allowed you to have that much improvement? Well, when I was when I did the three hour marathon, basically all my running was running to and from work. Mm. And I didn't I was part of I still am part of a running club, Clapham Chasers, which is just my local club. I actually joined when I moved to London, basically, to make friends and just get fit. But all the training sessions were in the evening, so I could never make them. I probably made one in four weeks. And all my other running was basically running to and from the office. Mm. And that that was it. I was running probably three or four times a week. And that was when I did my three-hour marathon, which is, you know, it's not terrible, I think. <laughs> when I look back on, on that little running, I was like, how did I do that? <laughs> but maybe I did have something then. But, um, yeah, I mean, the training, when I when I started training properly, I was training every single day mm. and having proper structure to my training, doing big sessions that incorporated more speed, was doing work in the gym... You know, it was really going from I was training like like a professional mm. runner, and so it was it was a, it was a huge change in my training to mm. to get there. It was a lot of hard work, but it I sounds it. like it. Yeah, it sounds like it. There's this coaching principle called be do have. Mm. So when you set goals and things that you want to achieve, you have to be that thing first. Yeah, and act it out and behave like that anyway. So you're yeah. saying you were already training as a professional, even though. Technically, the goal wasn't in your mind to really get that far. Yeah. But you're already doing the actions. Yeah, exactly. And that was... I very much went into my... What at the time was a lockdown project thinking, I've got this three months. I'm going to basically live the life of a pro athlete. I've gone from this incredibly unhealthy lifestyle. Mm. And that was really part of it, to be honest. It was like, oh, I've been living this really unhealthy lifestyle. Actually, Mm. got this three months, you know, not going out partying at all because we couldn't. So let's live this athlete lifestyle and see if I enjoy it. <laughs> and you're right that you have to. I totally agree with that. You have to. You have to do it to become it. Mm. And that was almost the same with quitting my job. And it felt almost a bit premature. In that, I didn't feel like I had got to a level where I could quit my job and say running was my career because I hadn't reached that level. But you have to just take that plunge. You just have to take the leap of faith. And it was, it does become, you know, it really is a, a full-time job being an athlete. And it does get to the stage where you're like, I'm not, I'm, I can't give 100% to this whilst I'm working. And even though it feels like you can't justify it at the time, you can because you've got to. You've just got to do it. Mm. So that was when you'd had the garden leave, you'd start to train like a professional essentially mm. but you'd gone and got another job because it still wasn't in your mind that you're going to be a professional athlete yeah so you got another job as a lawyer yeah and then there was a decision 
for this leap of faith at some stage where you decided to quit? Yeah. Okay. How, how did that happen and how did you quit? So the the job I took, it was um, the hours were a lot better. It was a it was actually a great firm and they were very supportive of my running and mm. I I went into it basically saying, you know, I'm not I'm I'm no longer this this corporate lawyer that gives a hundred percent to my job because I've got running and this is really a priority. And after a few months, I actually went part time at that firm, which wow. helped a lot. And so I could really focus on my running. And then, to be honest, it just got to the stage where I was... They, they were brilliant and they were really supportive and they were they did as much as they could, but you still have clients and the clients still expect a lot from you. And I think I just got to the stage where I felt like I couldn't give... It was almost like I couldn't give my job enough to justify being there. And I felt bad because I felt guilty because I wasn't, I wasn't putting enough into it. And then I also sort of felt like I was I was giving most of my energy to running, but it was still like a 90% effort. Mm. And actually it's just, to be honest, it's just very hard to do things, two things at 100%. Mm-hmm. I think very few people can do it. Some people can, they're amazing, but I just couldn't. And it's also a bit of an enjoyment thing. You know, I was, it was a bit like Groundhog Day every day because I'd get up, I'd train before work, I'd go to work, I'd train again. I'll go to sleep, repeat. And it was it was a bit like Groundhog Day every day. And I decided that actually if I'm going to take this opportunity, I need to I need to take it and I need to take everything that comes with it. You know, I wanted to travel, I wanted to go on training camps. I just got selected for to represent GB and was going to go to America for the summer. And I then wanted to, you know, go and train in America and just use all these amazing opportunities that come with suddenly being in this elite athlete world. And to do that, it just logistically wouldn't wouldn't have worked with my job. Mm. It's so good. So I, love, <laughs> I love this. So I, I, I call I, there's a term I use, right, which I call following the breadcrumbs. Mm. But it's kind of like listening to the signs. Yeah. Because I think it's, I love visualising that the only running that you used to do was running to and from work. That's so cool. Yeah. So then, because that arguably could have been a sign, right? And then just literally doing that and getting three-hour marathon time. Yeah. So where else were the signs that you picked up along the way, which then gave you the confidence to leave? And I know you said that there was an element of like a little bit of guilt that you weren't giving as much to the job anymore. And you felt that, you know, 90% wasn't going to be enough for the running. So what what were the other signs that helped you make that decision? I think a big part of it was just I used to... I used to be so passionate about my career in law and I just really noticed a shift when I started up at my new job in after lockdown. I just didn't have the same spark there. Mm. And actually my spark was was in running. And you know I liked it. I didn't I didn't hate my job at all. It was it was a lovely environment and a great team, but it wasn't exciting anymore. It was just a job and I'd just do it and then I'd be like right now I've got training and that was what I was excited about yeah and I think I just I really noticed that shift in myself and I was like actually this is just follow what you love hmm. so the, the values again isn't it it's like yeah. you suddenly valued the running and putting your time into that so yeah much more. yeah hmm. exactly and Charlie was a big influence on me as well to be honest yeah. he, he I mean he said quit your job a long time ago <laughs> but yeah he's he's been a big influence in it and just I think having that support to take the leaf of faith is is really important you need people to back you because 
I'm not saying that it, I, I'm, all my friends and family are very supportive, but I think coming, they've always known me as Rose the lawyer who loves running, does it as a hobby. And it's funny, a lot of, I mean, still a lot of people say, you know, it's kind of like, oh, that's so nice. You're taking some time out to do your hobby. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm doing it as a job now. (laughs) But, you know, it's, and they don't, no one reads it to be unsupportive or, you know, in a, in a, in a bad way, but it's just, it's just how they see me. They see me as this, this big city lawyer. Mm. You need a lot of support to take that leap of faith because it is an adjustment. Yeah. It really is an adjustment. That's so funny. You know, there's a quote which says, you're never a prophet in your own land. Yeah. You can't, you can't help and teach people like my family don't listen to me or like, you know, but if I say the same thing to a client, it will land. Like the same with you. They've already ha- they already have that perception of you as the lawyer. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if you go and win the Olympics. <laughs> yeah. I'm still, still do just that. doing my hobby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But what what leaps out to me there is there's never been a better time to take a leap of faith. So it sounds like you had an incredible employer that supported that journey. And I've got clients who are working on or a single client that I'm thinking of who is building a business on the side and is already like spoken with their employer and they're on board and at the end of the day this again the illusion of security you can quit if it doesn't work out you can go and be a lawyer again yeah it's like it's, it's just i just find it interesting we we, we have this perception of what's going to happen and it means failure if we try something but you you did it and it's amazing yeah it's almost reframing the risk it's like mm. what is the risk when you actually think about it Sure, you might take the leap of faith and it might not work out, but it also might, and you might have an amazing time and you might actually make more money doing something you love than you thought you were going to in this really secure job that was meant to make you loads of money. Yeah. Or it might not work out and you know what, you've tried it and you've you've had fun with it and you've you've itched that scratch and you can go back and there's there's no there's no shame in that. You know, there's no shame in just trying things. And I, I also think it's funny that a lot of people think, okay, I'm in this job, this is my job, and this is my career, and there's kind of no changing that. And actually, where did that come from? Mm. You know, it's like, there can be, I think there's loads of things I'd love doing. Yeah. And there's not just, I mean, I, I enjoyed my legal career. I think I'm I'm grateful for all of that. But even if I didn't do sport, there's, there's so much more I'd want to do. And actually, why not try something? Yeah. Why not try something else? That's an interesting point. I wonder whether it's because of our... Well, first, our brain needs to categorise things because there's otherwise it's too much stimulus. Mm. Like, we need to... I need to say that you're a runner and or, or a lawyer. Yeah. It's your friend. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're... And that person over there is that, and then that means that I'm this. So we, we can all identify with where we all are so we understand things and we can control things. Yeah. So if we, like, step out of those lines, it gets a little bit scary. It's like, oh, well but I thought I was a high-flying city lawyer or I thought I was yeah. the corporate salesperson, that, you know. Because cause let's be honest as well, I know you had a lot of validation from your qualifying times, but the, when you first step out of that, you are shifting identity and that is scary. Yeah. And I don't know what that transition was like for you, but adapting to, for me, like adapting to being right, right, I'm an entrepreneur now and I'm building a business and I'm building these systems and I'm, and I'm asking people for money and I'm selling me now, not a product and all these other things. It took me a while. I'd say it took me a, a year and a half maybe to really feel like a business owner and really own it. Yeah, that's so interesting. I I can definitely resonate with that. And I think it's only 
I mean, I'm not really sure I'm quite there yet because I still sometimes catch myself saying, oh, I'm actually taking a break from law. Mm. And <laughs> it's, yeah, it is a real identity shift, you know, and it's such a it's such a different world. It's how people have known me and it, it was my identity as a lawyer and running was my hobby. So it really, it takes a lot of effort to say that's my career and actually you know i am i am fully invested in it but it's almost like my identity and my recognition of that hasn't really caught up yet mm, yeah i suppose it does with the more proof right i mean the yeah. marathon probably did a lot for that and yeah even your puma deal like how did that come around yeah it was it was funny actually uh they puma just messaged me on instagram really yeah wow. <laughs> about social media so the the puma account just pops up in your dms yeah wow yeah and they just said they were expanding their their road running roster and they yeah they saw my i'd just run a marathon in seville and it was the first time i ran the world qualifying time was that with england no that was just a that was just a marathon i went and did really myself yeah well like paid for entry yourself yeah uh i think i got i got free entry but paid for everything else as a professional runner or just, yeah, they just they just have an elite section in okay. the marathon, and they give yeah they give elites free entry. Okay, but yeah, I ran a big PB there, and and then yeah, then Puma messaged me, and actually at the time I it was amazing because suddenly I had an an offer from Nike and an offer from Puma on the table after this marathon, and yeah, that was I mean that was a big point when I was like okay this this is going to be you know it's going to be what I'm going to do now. But yeah, it was it was a very different process between the two, and I learned a lot through that. You know, I I knew nothing about the sponsorship world. Mm. Suddenly being chucked into it with negotiating two deals, but yeah, it was it was a cool journey. Wow, I bet your your experience as a lawyer though doing like football deals and stuff helped. Yeah, it was great. I could do my own contract, which yeah. was very handy. <laughs> so, what made you choose Puma overnight? It was really the culture of the brand. Mm. It, they're they're very different. And when I was I was speaking, I was actually speaking to Nike through an agent I had at the time, which is actually how most sports sponsorship deals come about. It's normally through an athlete's agent. But the agent I was working with was fantastic, but he was affiliated with Nike, right. so he could basically only get me a Nike deal, and he he did that, and it was great. And then it's but Puma, I had to negotiate and speak to by myself. So it was a very different process, and Nike wouldn't speak to me at all. They'd only go through my agent, and that was right. That was we got to the few points on the contract that were pretty unreasonable, actually. And but they have Nike in there, you know, this is the deal, and mm. that's it, and there's no negotiation. And I tried to get them on the phone just to talk about it. No, that doesn't happen. That's not how we work. And you know, they're just they're a big brand, and they think they can. I mean, they probably can sign mm. anyone. Mm. Pure are completely different. You know, the first call with them, I was speaking with one of the, the top guys there, and he spent he spent about an hour on the phone to me, just telling me about Puma and telling me about how the company started, how their innovation works. You know, he invited me out to Germany to where they make all their shoes, hmm. and it's just so open and so friendly. And it was really about bringing me into the brand. And they say that Puma is a family. And it genuinely is, and that that is, it sounds a bit cliche, but it it really is like that, and they really live that that ethos, and I loved that, and it was, 
again, I think it goes back to the fact that, you know, I wasn't... Running is and always has been this passion project for me. I wasn't going into it for the money because I could stay in law for that. But what I really wanted was something... It was a brand I could really get involved with and, and just have fun with. Mm -hmm. And that was what Puma was for me. It was a brand that would would get me involved with whatever I wanted to be involved with and I'd have a lot of fun with them. And, yeah, that, that has been Puma through and through. I'm so pleased for you. It's so great because it just puts the cherry on top of the journey, really, over <laughs> yeah. the last couple of years. I've learned as well, I don't know whether you'd agree or not, but just with working for myself and doing deals, it is all about the relationship. And I know people say this and it's thrown around, but it, it shouldn't feel difficult. It should feel like you genuinely connect with somebody somebody, and you gen genuinely like align with what you guys are trying to do. And it is like a partnership. I even say to people now on proposal calls and stuff like this, is not a sell. This is just, this is like me telling you my journey, my story and what I'm trying to achieve. And if our visions align, then great. Yeah. And obviously yeah, then absolutely. there's money exchanges for that value, but it's, you know, it shouldn't feel difficult. Whereas it sounded like with Nike, it's very like yeah, one-sided as well. And there wasn't that connection necessarily yeah i was i was just going to be a number that ran in their clothes yeah and that was what the deal was mm. but some some people might like that as well though yeah oh yeah definitely i mean absolutely it works works for some people yeah. and some people want to just be left alone and get on with it but yeah i just i wanted something different and mm. i wanted a brand that i could actually be part of also you saying bolt was puma yeah, that's that pretty was cool. pretty cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> Haven't met him yet, but I'm working on it. <laughs> soon, yeah. Henri was Puma as well, a, a period as well. I've gone to football now, so apologies. Um, <laughs> was there anyone who you like looked up to, mentors or people who inspired you in the running world? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people, I think. There's just there's inspiration all round. There's, I think, especially over the last few years, you know, so many records have been broken. Mm. And just the depth of the depth of the running i think particularly in female running you know they're in, in the u.s it's like kira demarta and sarah hall who are oh i don't want to get their age wrong late 30s let's say got children got families and absolutely smashing it mm. you know getting national records and you just look at them and like oh god if they can do it i definitely can yeah but yeah i mean there's just so much inspiration everywhere but you know as well charlie was my fiance was was a big inspiration and I guess, mentor for me throughout it because mm. he's kind of had a bit of a similar path. You know, he worked at Diageo, big corporate, and then quit his job to start his own company in ice cream. Mm. So he's had <laughs> a, a similar journey a few years ago and has always been such a big advocate of just screw the corporate grind, yeah. do what you love. Yeah, I'm looking forward to having one. You said... If they can do it, I can do it. It's so important. It's yeah. a quote that I say all the time, so apologies for people listening, but if you can't be what you can't see. Yeah. And you can argue that. It's like, you know, the Elon Musks and, you know, um, Zuckerbergs who have created things that have never been done before, but like the, the majority on the whole, you can't be what you can't see. So when you see something, it opens your eyes to what's possible. Yeah. And that's why I love running because, you know, in the personal development world, the Roger Bannister four-minute mile story is always told about how the moment you break a certain limitation, like he... Yeah he got under the four minute mile and then suddenly everyone started doing it at that elite level. But yeah. until then it was thought impossible. And I think that's the same with how we operate in life is like we all have these limitations and beliefs about what is attainable and what is acceptable. 
which is why I try and fly the flag for that. And your story is such an amazing example of, you know, just doing it. Yeah. Giving it a bit of attention and, and seeing what happens. Yeah. I always think a barrier is only a barrier till you jump over it. Hmm. And that's that's so true. I mean, it's it happens a lot in running where the times you get a bit of a mental block, you can't get over it, and then suddenly you do, and you're like, oh, that was a barrier for so long, and mm. then you've just jumped over it, and it's gone. Mm. How much of a head game is is it, let's call it endurance running because it's not only marathons that you do, right? So mm. is that your is that your main focus? Is marathon distance? Yeah, it's my main focus, and but I do half and ten k as well. Yeah, it's because like. I mean, you're flying around, but even at two and a half hours, it's a long time, especially at your pace to be going for. So how much of a mental game is it? And what do you do to almost coach yourself or, or talk to yourself during the tough times? Yeah, it, oh, it's such a mental game. I think, I genuinely think it's probably more mental than physical. Hmm. And I've done, I actually, I do, I do a lot of mental training. And it's really only been over the last... I didn't I didn't really do much at the start and then it's been the last kind of year and a half where I've been like okay I'm training my body so much one I'm training my mind and I've worked on it a lot and it's helped me so much hmm. but in the marathon yeah it's an incredibly mental game and one of the one of the key things I do is actually plan what I'm going to think about hmm. because if you've got any little mental weakness the marathon will find you out because your body does not want to do that it does not want to <laughs> suffer that much and it does really hurt and you know even at even at my level people are like oh it must be you know it must feel quite easy no running at five thirty pace never feels easy <laughs> you just learn to suffer for longer but you just got to be so i guess rigid and, and mentally strong to keep yourself in a good mindset mm. And yeah, one of the, one of the tactics that I find really helps is just have a plan, and you have to stick to that plan. And if you start, you know, there'll be bits where you're like, "Oh, I don't feel good," whatever. And you're like, "No, that's that's not what I'm thinking about on this mile. I'm actually going to think about this." You know, I'm going to think about, I don't know, keeping my shoulders relaxed, and that is that is my only thought for this mile. That is the only thing I'm allowed to think about. And so yeah, that's just one strategy I find really helpful in the marathon, but. I mean, there are loads, there are loads of mantras that you can go to and mental strategies, but I think finding one that works for you is absolutely key. I love that. Planning what you're thinking about. Yeah. Yeah, otherwise the mind attacks over. Yeah. And if you don't have a plan to deal with it, it will go to something negative because mm. your body's hurting. <laughs> <laughs> your body doesn't want to be doing it. So it will inevitably go to go to some kind of negativity or, you know, I can't do it. And it's a big thing you're trying to do. So there's always going to be something in your head that's like, oh, I can't do it, I can't do it. But that's just, I always think, if I'm thinking I can't do it, that's just going out of my comfort zone. Mm. That's not I can't do it. It's just like, oh, I haven't done it before. I'm not comfortable with this, but that's what I love doing and that's the challenge. Yeah. So what is your mental training regime? You said you've been doing a lot more of it recently. I do mindfulness. So I practice mindfulness and I just, I read a lot of psychology books, to be honest, yeah. and listen to a lot of podcasts. Mm. Big fan of Take Flight Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, yeah, I think just, I've yeah, I, I actually, I just really enjoy sports psychology as well, which helps. So I love yeah. reading the books. And I've had a few sessions, I've been lucky enough to have a few sessions with incredible sports psychologist called Steve Peters. I'm not sure if, if you heard yeah. of Chimp Paradox. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's, I mean, I can't even, 
I'm not even going to try to describe him because I, I won't do his absolute genius justice, but he is brilliant. Mm. And that, that has helped me a lot. He's come up on the show a few times. Katrina Johnson-Thompson, Adam yeah. Jamili, um had a lot of Olympians on, so Steve Redgrave, like, saying things about him. Oh, yeah, he is phenomenal. I genuinely think he is the reason that I started London because one one thing he said to me before was, before a race, all you can do, you, you, it's about kind of how to manage anxiety before a race, and you get so hooked up on where you want to finish in the race or your time or what you want to achieve. And actually, all you can do is go and do your best. And, you know, some days it might, your best might not be what you want. And there are so many factors in in all sport. You know, there's so many external factors, particularly in the marathon. It's two and a half hours long. A lot can go wrong. Mm. But all you can do is do your best. And actually, there's no point worrying about anything else. And that really just resonated with me and helped me through, particularly when I, you know, can run before the marathon, which is not a great place to be in, to be honest. <laughs> but it was really just thinking, okay, what what does doing your best mean to me right now? And actually it was just starting the race. Mm. And yeah, I mean, God, if I hadn't started, then it would just oh, it would never have happened. So interesting because on the surface, all you can do is your best is a comment or a phrase I've probably heard constantly through my life. Mm. But until you deeply understand what that actually means and and apply it to a circumstance also what's very important is that you've defined it yeah what actually does that mean to do my best okay it means just starting the race okay cool yeah and then it means to get to mile two mile three or whatever that define and refine practice is is amazing as well yeah yeah and i think it is i think it can sometimes be used a bit of oh you know just do your best it's a bit mm, soft yeah yeah but it doesn't actually mean that you know doing your best does mean it sometimes means going beyond what the time that you think you can do. Yeah. And huh. that's another thing that Steve says. Well, actually, sorry, Steve, just, you know, ripping everything you've told me. <laughs> but <laughs> no, but <laughs> he says, you know, don't set a time because then you're limiting yourself. You know, if you're like, right, this is the time I'm going for, then you never actually try to exceed it. Mm. And that becomes your limit. And if you start running a bit quicker than that, it's almost like, oh, no, that's, that's too quick because mm. that's over my over my time I'm going for but why do that you know actually if you just try and do your best that can sometimes be even better than a set expectation mm. I wonder how this mental practice might have helped you with that leap of faith process as well in the past yeah yeah definitely it definitely helped I think just being more aware of what makes me happy and my values and I guess what I'm trying to get out of my career and that that was really what I was lacking before. It was like, why am I why am I doing this? Why am I going through this stress? You know, what is what is the purpose? I guess my why of doing it, and that was I suppose what I found that in running. Mm. So, what are you trying to get out of your career now? What's the future hold? I guess Paris is a big one. That's what I'm going for. Wow, it's going so to that's be tough, next year. It's 2024. 2024. Okay, but oh, next okay. year's the year essentially got to try and get a really good time to put me in a good place yeah. to qualify and is there a set time or is it based off of other runners it's technically there's a there's a qualifying time which is 228 okay. so i've got that but it will just be the 
well, they haven't actually released a selection policy, but it's normally just the three fastest people. So realistically, in GB, you have to, or in yeah, the, yeah, in GB, you have wow. to run a lot quicker than that. Realistically, okay, okay. Who's your competition? I've got quite a lot. <laughs> yeah, there are some really good runners at the moment. Charlotte Perdue's up there. Jess Piasecki, Elish McColgan's going to debut, and big expectations for her. So, yeah, I mean, there's there are tons, mm. but it's yeah, you got to perform on the day, so you yeah. can say there's loads, but okay. Yeah, I'm very hopeful that you qualify. And <laughs> Thank you. That would be amazing. So as a listener, you'll know we do the same three questions at the end of every episode. So the first one is, is there anything specific that you've discovered or come across recently that you're particularly excited about? I think mindfulness, actually. It's mm. something I've only really started doing it in or practising it on a regular basis over the last probably two months. Okay. And, and was that through Prof Peter's? Uh, it wasn't specifically no, but I think I've I've just thought about it a lot more since since you know discovering I guess discovering sports psychology and the benefits of it. But mindfulness, particularly, I do to headspace, mm-hmm. and I really enjoy it. And I just find it, you know, both in sport and in life, it just really sets me up nicely for the day. Mm. So yeah, excited about that. Cool. Okay, amazing. Um, one habit you would recommend all listeners to undertake? I don't want to give the same answer now, but. <laughs> I think just start your day the way you want to go on, whatever that means to you. Just take a bit of time out in the morning and set some intentions for the day. Okay, nice intentions. Yeah. Last one. So take yourself back to a particularly challenging moment. It might be when you were notified you made redundant or it could be at any of these moments, right? Imagine there's two versions of yourself. What's the difference between the version of you who's gone on to achieve everything, become a pro athlete, got the Puma deal, did that amazing race in, in London and everything that you're going to go on to do versus the one who wouldn't and might even still be practising law. Yeah, so then one one moment when I really realised kind of how how different approach I was taking is I got signed by Puma and I got injured and I was training for Wells. It was terrible timing. And there was genuinely moments when we weren't sure whether I was going to make the start line of Worlds. And, you know, I'd just given up my job to do this and then it just felt like everything had fallen apart. And I think previously I'd have been like, oh, I've made a terrible mistake. I've got to go back. I've got to go back to that safety net. And actually, I was really proud of myself for how I dealt with it, to be honest, because I was like, okay, this has happened, but there are opportunities here and I'm just going to use them to make this the best situation I can. And that was when I started with sports psychology to get me through it and to make my... I basically thought, okay, running is one part of training. Can't do it because I'm injured. So let's do everything else amazingly. So I literally cross-trained. I mean, I train like a professional cyclist. (laughs) I cross-trained for like... and got on the bike for about 20 hours a week uh, up in in the Pyrenees. So it it was hard training. I started learning about sports psychology, read loads of books... It's going to make my mindset absolutely bulletproof, improve my nutrition, really focused on sleep. And I made the I made the world team, I made the start line. I actually felt really fit and healthy until I then got COVID. Hmm. <laughs> but at the start line, I felt fit and healthy. And that was really just, it was such a huge learning curve for me. And I think I got so much more out of that build up and that situation than if it had all gone perfectly smoothly and I just carried on training and everything had gone well. Hmm. 
Amazing. I love that. It's like the like reframing it and yeah, asking what can I do instead of what can't I do. Exactly. Yeah. You're, you know, it was a shit situation, but I think with any shit situation, you can either make it better or make it worse. Mm. And that is your choice. Amazing. Rose Harvey, you're a legend. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thank we're you all, for having me. No, it's been a pleasure. We're all going to follow you to the Olympics, hopefully, and everything that you do. So thanks so much for joining us. You have reached your destination. Hey, it's Mark Whittle. Thanks so much for watching or listening. It's so great to have you a part of the Take Flight movement. Subscribe to the podcast on all platforms, video and audio, to be the first to see new episodes and new conversations with the greatest minds in the world. Follow me at markwhittle underscore tf on all social platforms and visit takeflightworld.com to join our growing community of hustlers, performers and go-getters. I can't wait to see you next time. Until then, stay positive, stay motivated and of course, take flight.